In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. After they had left, suddenly the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother with you and escape into Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Because Herod intends to search for the child and do away with him. So Joseph got up and taking the child and his mother with him, he left that night for Egypt, where he stayed until Herod was dead. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken through the prophet, I called my son out of Egypt. No sooner has our Lord been born on this earth <clears throat> than there is contradiction. The angel of the Lord again appears to Joseph and again in a dream and gives him an indication that is again going to change all their plans. They might have been planning to go back peacefully to Nazareth and after all the commotion and turmoil of the previous days. Finally, their lives are settling down a little. But he's told to take the child and his mother with you and escape into Egypt. It's a story of contradiction, of difficulties, of the cross. The story that had preceded the birth of Christ is now continuing. The Holy Family are beginning to see how the words of Simeon are going to be fulfilled. Your own soul, a sword will pierce. He is truly to be a sign of contradiction. Powers that be of this world, the political powers, are out to get the child, to search for the child and do away with him. And so, as always, Joseph obeys. And he obeys immediately. Joseph got up and taken the child and his mother with him. He left that night for Egypt. Again, we see the Holy Family and people in Scripture, when they see the will of God, they move with urgency. He stayed there. We don't understand the plans of God. This sign of contradiction that comes on this particular feast day is a mystery. But God is speaking to us about suffering, that reality in our life and the sanctification of it. St. Matthew continues that Herod, when he saw that he'd been tricked by the wise men, he was in a furious rage. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who are two years older under according to the time which he had ascertained from the wise men. And so Herod becomes a real butcher. 
Unfortunately, so many people in the medical profession today follow in the footsteps of Herod. But the Teresa like to say that people who perform abortions or vote for them or condone them, politicians approve them, they're just a bunch of assassins. We could remember today the millions and millions of unborn babies whose lives have been terminated. And also we could remember the words of John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life, where he tells all followers of Christ that they have to be unconditionally pro-life. Today is a good day to see what have I done in the past year to have an influence in that area? Do people around me know that I am unconditionally pro-life? Have I tried to influence my environment with letters to the newspaper, with participation in pro-life activities, by being in contact with people <clears throat> of a similar bent, and of getting more and more informed through social media about the, well, the brutality of this whole culture that is so prevalent in society. There's no easy explanation for suffering, least of all for the suffering of the innocent. It's scientifically very clear that life begins at conception. It's been that way for decades. And every day it becomes more and more scientifically clear that babies in the womb begin to feel pain at a very early age. All these things are things we have to get to know more about so that we change the culture. We bring about a culture of life, as John Paul II liked to say, and a civilization of love. And St. Matthew, in his description of this event, shows us the suffering, appearing apparently useful and unjust, of some children who give their lives for a person and for a truth whom they didn't even know. Suffering is often a cause of scandal. For many people, it's like a great wall which prevents them from seeing God and his infinite love for men. Why does Almighty God, why doesn't Almighty God prevent such apparently useless suffering? Suffering is indeed a mystery. Yet through faith, the Christian can discover in the darkness of his own or other people's suffering, the loving and provident hand of his Father God, who knows so much more and sees so much further than he himself can. <clears throat> we have to try and see suffering from a supernatural perspective. God is at work here. He's using me or he's using this situation or this apparent tragedy or difficulty or this broken heart to bring about his plans, greater plans, plans of divine love. And so we have to try and accept those crosses as they come and learn to see with faith the loving hand of our Father God behind them. And when through faith we 
accept these realities, well, then we begin to understand to some extent the, the words of St. Paul to the first Christians in Rome. And he said, we know that everything, that in everything God works for the good for those who love him, including everything that seems to be presently inexplicable or incomprehensible. <clears throat> you may have heard during these days of Christmas or another Christmases, some people well, whose hearts have been broken over Christmas because of the loss of a loved one, maybe a young loved one. And yet we know God is at work behind all of these things. Nor must we forget that our greatest happiness and our most authentic good are not always those which we dream of and long for. What I dream of, what I want, what I thought was going to happen, how everything was going to work out as I had planned. We live in a valley of tears. And God is at work behind those tears. Often it's difficult for us to see things in their true perspective. We can only take in a very small part of the complete reality. And so Frank Sheed in To Know Christ Jesus says, we only see the tiny piece of reality that is here in front of us. We're inclined to feel that earthly existence is the only real one. And often consider our time on earth to be the period in which all our longings for perfect happiness ought to be fulfilled. Well, sometimes God uses those contradictions, those heartbreaking moments, those tragedies, to lead us along deeper spiritual pathways, to help us to look up and see that there's another reality, a supernatural reality. There is anguish for us 20 centuries later. He says, in thinking of the slain babies and their parents. For the babies, the agony was soon over. In the next world, they would come to know whom they had died to save. And for all eternity would have, would have that glory. For the parents, the pain would have lasted longer. But a death they too must have found there was a special sense in which God was in their debt, as he had never been indebted to any. They and their children were the only ones who ever, who ever agonized in order to save God's life. And so sometimes God permits broken hearts and hearts filled with pain that will never be erased in this world. Crosses are burdens that will last always, but which will lead us along true pathways to holiness. And so suffering comes in many forms. No one willingly looks for us in any of those forms. Christ, who is like us in all things but sin, did not yearn for suffering. He said, Father, if it is possible, take this chalice away from me. 
Yet not my will, rather yours be done. And yet Jesus proclaimed as blessed. We can use that word blessed in terms of privileged or happy or lucky. Are those who mourn. That is to say, those who carry a heavier cross of illness, of handicap, of physical pain, of poverty, of slander, of injustice. Faith transforms the meaning of suffering. In union with Christ's suffering, it is changed into a sign of God's love. It is something very valuable and fruitful. man told me in the last few days how he was distributing pieces of Christmas cake to small children in rural Kenya. And he came across a young girl, maybe six or seven years of age, who was blind. She'd never had Christmas cake before. When she real he realized she was blind, he gave her a, a few more pieces of the cake, small little pieces. There were so many kids all they could have was a small little piece, but he gave her a few more pieces, and each time she would say, thank you, Uncle. Thank you, Uncle. Grateful for this little service, for this little joy. And you could see he was the one that was more moved. By this young girl, who couldn't see. All these children enjoying themselves at Christmas, and this little girl also, but a little bit limited in her joy because of her handicap. But yet our Lord has called her blessed. In one of the antiphons of the Mass of these days, it says, These have been redeemed from among the human race as the first fruits of God and for the Lamb of God. They follow the Lamb wherever he goes. And so the cross in pain and suffering are the means which our Lord uses to redeem us. He could have used other means, but he chose to redeem us precisely by the cross. And so St. Josemaria liked to say that suffering is a sign of divine predilection. That God has loved this person in a special way. And so since then, suffering has had no meaning which can only be understood when it is united to him. And that's why it's a very good thing to thank our Lord for the crosses that he sends us. Thank you, Lord, for this pain or this suffering or this anxiety or this worry or this broken heart. Because I know you're acting in it and through it. Our Lord had the power to do away with suffering. But he never used that power for himself. And although he worked miracles to feed the crowds, he himself suffered hunger. Though he shared with us the experience of exhaustion and pain, his soul tasted bitterness, indifference, ingratitude, betrayal, slander, Moral agony is in its highest degree when he took upon himself the sins of the world. 
the shameful death on the of the cross. His enemies were astonished by his incomprehensible behavior. He saved others, they said mockingly. He cannot save himself. And so in our situation, in our marriage, in our family, in our social relations, in our professional work, in sickness or in financial problems, when we encounter the same things that our Lord encountered, indifference, ingratitude, betrayal, slander, moral agony, where we know to whom we can turn. We can find solace in the heart of Christ. We can find meaning and understanding there. And that meaning and understanding can lead us to thank our Lord for what he sent us. After the resurrection, the apostles were sent to proclaim the benefits of the cross to the whole world. It was necessary, they said, that the Messiah should suffer like this. Christ himself had explained these matters to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Our Lord wants us to avoid pain and combat illness with all the means at our disposal. He wants us to use all the human means. But he wants us to understand at the same time that our pain and our suffering can have a redemptive meaning and can lead to our personal purification, even in the case of those which seem unjust or out of all proportion. Milton Sheen likes to tell the story of a lady at the turn of the century in France, turn of the 20th century, Elizabeth Lesseur, her story is on the internet. She married, she was a very normal Catholic lady, but she married a very intelligent man, a very prestigious man. He was the chairman of the Communist Party of France, and he was the editor of the communist newspaper. And she felt she'd been given this husband so as to convert him. So she tried to engage him intellectually to explain to him from an intellectual perspective the truths of the faith, but she got nowhere. And after a number of years of their marriage, she developed a very serious disease, I don't know, was it tuberculosis of the spine or something, and she was in an iron lung for a couple of years. And one day she said to her husband, after I die, you will convert and become a Catholic. And he remembered thinking, well, there was nothing further from his mind. He thought his wife must be nearing her end. And then she said, because I have asked God to ask me enough suffering so as to save your soul. And she said, and after I die, and after you become a Catholic, you will become into a seminary and you will be ordained a Catholic priest. And he dismissed these as the thoughts of a dying woman. Definitely my wife is losing her, losing her mind. She's nearing her end. But then this good lady died and he had a lot of grief. And he wanted somehow to reconnect with her and with her soul. And he decided to go on a tour all over France and visit all the places they'd been to on their honeymoon to somehow relive those moments. 
because he truly loved her so much. And on one occasion, he found himself outside a little village church, a small village somewhere in France. And he remembered that on their honeymoon, they had gone into the church. But he hated going into churches. It wasn't good for him to be seen going into churches, such a prominent communist. But he'd made a promise that he would go everywhere that they'd gone on their honeymoon, so he went into the church. And in the church, he got this great desire to go to Lourdes. He had no time for Lourdes. He had dismissed it in his communist newspaper as a fraud, one of those Catholic superstitions. But he got this great desire to go there, and so he went to Lourdes. And standing in front of the grotto of Our Lady of Lourdes, he had a monumental conversion. And so great was the grace of his conversion that the thought of going back to Paris and resigning the chairmanship of the Communist Party and the editorial ship of the communist newspaper didn't cost him a thought. Three months later, he entered a Dominican seminary. And eventually he was ordained a Dominican priest. Fulton Sheen said in 1925, I did my retreat given by that Dominican priest, Father Felix de Sore. And he said, it's not often in the course of your life that you attend a retreat where the priest, the preacher frequently says during the retreat, as my wife Elizabeth used to say. And so his life, he told the great story of the value of human suffering. And so our Lord wants us to accept the crosses that he sends us. Wants us to learn how to understand this has a redemptive meaning. The lady asked me once, Father, when I turn on my computer, <clears throat> can that be redemptive? Well, if turning on, the, flicking the switch of your computer or pressing the button be redemptive, well, imagine how much more redemptive can be a migraine headache or a broken heart or some other suffering. And that doctrine fills St. Paul with joy in his prison cell. He said, now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I complete what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body. That is the church. Suffering is not sanctified by those who suffer in this life because of wounded pride or envy or jealousy. We may create a lot of suffering for ourselves. But that's not the cross of Christ. That cross comes precisely from our being far away from him. That cross is one's own cross and it's heavy and it's fruitless. We have to examine our conscience and see if it's truly our Lord's cross that we are carrying wholeheartedly. And often that cross of Christ can consist the tiny irritations that may turn up in our work or in our dealings with others. Divine calls to be a bit more patient or kind or understanding. It may be in things that are unforeseen or for which we're not prepared. Or the character of someone with whom we have to live. 
or a plan that has to be changed at the last minute. Or tools of our work that fail us at the worst possible moment. Our extremes of heat or cold, our misunderstanding, our being sufficiently off colour to feel incapable of doing our work properly. But whether it's little or great, suffering accepted and offered to our Lord produces peace and serenity. As we see Saint Joseph fleeing by night with a child and his mother, carrying that unexpected cross, where we also sense a great peace and serenity, a joy that comes from following the calling that God has given to him with all of its consequences. When crosses are not accepted, the soul is out of tune. And its internal rebellion can be shown externally in gloom or bad temper. And so we have to try and make a conscious decision to take up and carry the little cross of each day with determination. Sufferings can be sent to us by our Lord to purify many things of our past life. Or to strengthen our virtues. And to unite us to the sufferings of Christ our Redeemer, who in his innocence suffered the punishment due to our sins. So the holy innocents were united in some way to the innocence of Christ. In the liturgy of today, we say, O oh God, in this holy day, on this day, the holy innocence gave witness to you, not by words, but by a martyr's death. When we die to ourselves in the martyrdom of the little things of each day, we also give witness to Christ. And so those who suffer with the intention of co-redeeming are cut. Comforted by our Lord, he sends them peace and serenity. And Jose Maria liked to say that joy and happiness in this world have their roots in the form of a cross. And so we are called to sympathize with and help people to overcome their difficulties and their sufferings. The entrance antiphon of the Mass of today says the innocent children were put to death in place of Christ. They follow him, the sinless lamb. They praise him forever, singing glory to you. And so those who suffer with Christ will be rewarded by having God as their comforter in this life. And afterwards, the infinite joy of eternal life. St. Matthew tells us that our Lord says, Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, these are words that our Lord will say to us at the end of our life. If we have managed to remain united to him through all its joys and sorrows, the ups and downs. The book of Revelation says God will wipe away every tear from the eyes of the blessed. And death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. And so the hope of heaven is an inexhaustible source of patience and energy at a time of severe suffering. We see this is not in vain. This has a purpose. God is at work here. And in the same way, the knowledge which faith gives us that our pain and suffering are of enormous use to those who live with us, our friends, our relatives. And that helps us to bear suffering and exhaustion without complaint. Joseph went silently to Egypt. And so we ought to feel that the waste of our affliction is light compared to the good things which God has prepared for us. A lady told me once, I thank God for the crosses that he sends me because I realized it could be worse. At the moment of our Calvary, God can give us graces to see that things could be worse. Maybe other people's Calvaries are greater. And those who offer up their suffering are co-redeemers with Christ. And so God the Father always pours out on them such great comfort that they're filled with peace in the midst of sufferings. And Paul says, for as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. And so St. Paul felt the consolation of the divine mercy. And so that enables him and us to console and support others. Our Father God is always very near to his human children, but especially when they're suffering. And so human fraternity moves us to practice this service of comfort. And Paul says to the Thessalonians, comfort one another. There may be a thousand things which tend to separate us, but suffering unites us. But it does happen sometimes that a painful situation arises in which we don't know what is the right thing to do. Maybe if we recollect ourselves in prayer for a moment and ask ourselves, what would our Lord do in the same circumstances? that we may receive abundant light. Sometimes all we need to do is to keep the suffering person company, to talk to them in a friendly and positive way, to encourage them to offer their suffering for some specific intention, or to help them to recite some prayer like the rosary, or to simply listen to what they have to say. When many people nowadays have forgotten the Christian meaning of feasts, we can add to them the light and salt of little mortifications, realizing that in this way we give joy to our Lord and help other souls to come nearer to Bethlehem. And the Pharaoh were told, you asked our Lord to let you suffer a little for him. 
But when suffering comes in such a normal human form, family difficulties and problems are those awkward things of ordinary life. You find it hard to see Christ behind it. Open your hands willingly to those nails and your sorrow will be turned into joy. He also says, don't complain if you suffer. It's the prized and valued stone that is polished. Does it hurt? Allow yourself to be cut gratefully because God has taken you in his hands as if you were a diamond. An ordinary pebble is not worked on like that. We contemplate Mary at the foot of her son's cross. We will learn to offer our pain and suffering to him and to have great sympathy for those who suffer. So Mary, may you help us to sanctify pain, uniting it to that of your son, Jesus. Help us to ask the holy innocents they may teach us to love mortification and voluntary sacrifice so that we offer up our own pain and to have great compassion for all who suffer. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections and inspirations that you have communicated to me during this meditation. I ask your help to put them into practice. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.